0: Alrighty, guys, welcome to the revamped segment of I may be wrong, but I doubt it on the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast. And for today's discussion, I've got my friend and good colleague Sean Pastuch, the founder of Active Life Rx. And I asked my dude to come on as we debate my stance that fitness professionals need to embrace the idea of being the best generalist that being the best coach you could be is probably a big fucking waste of your time, depending on where you are in your business journey. And Sean here respectfully disagrees with several of my core tenants, and we're gonna get into a, a healthy debate and unpack this topic, so I want you guys to sit back, relax, watch how two ridiculously good-looking and intelligent human beings can disagree with each other, and you're gonna yet still see by the end of this, we're still fucking friends. So all right, on to it, let's roll the intro music. I'm in. I'm in. If you've never read the book, I may be wrong, but I doubt it. By Charles Barkley, he wrote it in 2002. You fucking need to, people. Did he also uh,
1: record that?
0: Yeah, he had like a DJ. He had like a guy come in and mix up that song, and they played it on like TNT basketball one night. And That's it's uh, amazing. Just, it's so fucking good, Sean. Thank you, man, for coming on.
1: Oh, my pleasure
0: awesome so let's kick this off just to give everyone context to this uh i did uh, in the, my new show the what the fuck gym talk show episode four i titled it um why pursuing excellence as a trainer is bad for business and then i had a few co- you know instagram posts that really kind of backed up that thesis and sean is probably one of the the few colleagues of mine in the fitness industry that i we feel very comfortable telling each other when we're like "No, oh, fuck you are you kidding me i would totally argue against that and mm-hmm. i wanted to revamp this segment and sean was uh is the perfect guy to get on here and and kick this thing off so um let's talk about this when you I don't know if you watched that episode you saw the podcast Mm -hmm. or you saw the the post on Instagram when you were seeing that and because what you do you know you as the founder of active life and, and what you guys do helping people get out of pain without missing the gym or having to go to a doctor you work with professional coaches you actually your tagline and it's mounted on a beautiful fucking sign in your building now Hashtag term pro. That is something you have, that's a brand lexicon for you now. Talk to me about as you saw that, you know, what was the, what was your initial feedback and gut reaction based on my, my statement that I don't think coaches need to pursue excellence as a trainer um, and that it is bad for business.
1: So we just yesterday, was it yesterday or two days ago? We defined term pro, like we put it into words so that it was part of the lexicon and it was repeatable. And it's exactly the opposite of what you were saying. And I definitely watched the show, obviously. I mean, you're the, I'll give it to you, man. You are the best individual content creator in this space, bar none. The only one who I watch every time. I'm like, this fucking guy did it again. It's funny as hell. <laughs> and it's legit. But so we took Turn Pro and made an Instagram post out of it.
0: Oh, I I did see this post. This is great. Yeah, it looks like it's right out of the dictionary. Yeah, that that
1: was the idea. So it says, term pro, verb, the courageous commitment to one's own fulfillment via personal and professional excellence in service to a worthwhile cause greater than oneself. That's what we believe it means to turn pro in a way that everybody can repeat. And I promise I'll have that memorized by the end of like, I don't know, (laughs) Q1 next year. (laughs) <laughs> it'll be on
0: it'll be on the ta- it'll be on a tattoo somewhere on Sean's. So yeah. okay, let's let's talk about it then. You know, I you know, I've also made the comment uh, for a lot of my audience and you and me overlap our audiences so well, you know, we've been able to collab and do stuff together. A lot of these guys, these the coaches that are coming in, whether they are coach slash owners or they're just coaches in someone else's system, or they're coaches just figuring it out and they're still in their educational component, hoping to be in someone's system or someday or start their own. I, I come from this as as I know you do cuz you were you got in the CrossFit early too. I just come from this world where I never have had to speak with a gym owner or talk them off the ledge or get them, you know, get them tissues cuz their business cuz they went out of business because it was their cuz their coaching was subpar their their ability to be a professional coach. And I guess maybe it requires a definition as to what a professional coach is. And I'm here, you know, on my end, I'm saying guys there's a time and a place to perfect the craft. But the second you sign a lease and you open a brick and mortar, you instantly can't be the best coach because that requires, like I'm assuming term pro, you tell people it's a constant you know, um, effort. It's a constant resource of your energies, time and you know, whether it be money or whatever to continuously get better at your craft and be focused on being a professional. I think once you open that fucking brick and mortar, you now have way too many hats to wear. And Sally will not know the difference if you don't know that, you know, the four sits muscles in the shoulder.
1: So I want to be careful here because I agree with that, but I disagree with you as a general premise. And what I mean by that is this once you sign the lease, yeah, you stop being the coach first, and you are better off being a a version of a coach who is not a detriment to the gym, right? You just can't be a liability when you coach, you can't be showing up with knee sleeves on smoking a cigarette. Like we have coach Gary. I don't know if you've seen coach Gary on our active like professional Instagram. Oh
0: yes. Coach, coach, that video is phenomenal by we're, the way. We're,
1: we're just it's pumping so out coach Gary content. You can't be coach Gary, right? But that doesn't mean that you don't, Pursue excellence in what your job is. And if you're the gym owner, in my opinion, you have have one major job and one major responsibility. The major job is to make sure that everybody understands and appreciates the value of the mission that your business serves. Which means you need to become, in my opinion, a world-class storyteller. You need to become a world-class team galvanizer. You need to become a world-class leader to create your number one responsibility Which is to create a safe and inspiring work environment for everybody else who's there. Part of creating a safe and inspiring work environment is, yeah, being a generalist in the tasks that everybody else is able to do so that you can take out the trash, so that you can show them, I can clean the toilet too. You might not want to eat out of it after I do it, but I can clean the toilet and watch, I'll do it. But I believe that it requires a world-class skill set to be generally good at all of those things and then to be the leader as your job. The coaches, but hold on. The coaches who are in the gym, they do. If you're going to be a career coach, they should be pursuing excellence, in my opinion, as a coach, so that the member never has the moment where they're like, I'm going to go try that other gym. I just don't feel like I got any attention today, and I'm paying all this money for coaching.
0: I uh, I think that you 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 mentioned them there the the career coach or like the coach for life and these are ideas you know that a lot of people talk about and I but I could really think of if we think of let's think of uh, educate like guys that we can think of. we can think of the Poliquins of the world the Ripitos of the world these top and you know Fitzgerald any of these guys that are you know renowned as really good coaches they never really deviated they stayed coaches they perfected their craft and you get good enough as a coach. But you still outgrow coaching like you still like those guys still coach, but they become SMEs and an SME ends up doing other things, course creation, whatever it may be like writing books, um, you you know, trainer to the stars or like educating other coaches. When I look at the average coach that listens to you and me and the responsibility we have in our content, I always think to myself, like, okay, I do want these guys to be great. Like, I don't want a bunch of shit coaches out there doing whatever. But I even look at Jillian Michaels. We all know that hit that like famous scene where she was on TV and she, yeah, she was grabbing the kettlebell and she was coaching them through some dog shit fucking and very dive. And yeah. Dive. It was just the worst. <laughs> and at the end of the day, Jillian Michaels is not a world-class coach. That chick has not turned pro in the profession of coaching whatsoever. It did not to the slightest degree. But again, I look at this, I'm like, is it better, though, that she is a D plus, C minus, maybe, if that, that might even be generous, fitness instructor, educational instructor, you know, exercise instructor, um, oh, kinesthetic awareness person than... Then you know, but she's more impactful in helping other people because of her ability to do all the other things that made her Jillian
1: Michaels. Well, I, I would argue. I would. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go on.
0: You're good. Fit it. Go ahead. Okay.
1: Fit it. I would argue she's dangerous. I would argue that what she does is dangerous, and it makes what you do and what I do less valuable because people are out there looking at somebody like her and saying, "This is what a great coach is supposed to be. This is amazing." And perception is reality, so that becomes the standard for the marketplace, and it's a fucking train wreck.
0: Why hasn't good coach then okay? Then here's my thing is if she focused on being the great coach at best coach ever, she'd be a nobody.
1: Tell me this. Maybe but let's go back there because Charles Poliquin's not a nobody. James Fitzgerald's not a nobody. Paul Chuck is not a nobody. David Kirsch is not a nobody. Mark Verstejan is not a nobody. So what happens is these people first pursue being a great coach. They become a world-class coach and then when they get to that place in their career, I believe that they start to feel more energy spent to chase diminishing returns than to broaden their scope and to be a novice again and become a great at something else. But I don't believe that they became a marginal level coach and then were like, all right, I want to go open Exos. All right, I want to sure. go train the world. I think that they became world-class and then the energy required to stay there when they saw this other opportunity everyone who to learn from them was just like, why would I want to keep becoming a better coach? I need to now gain the skills to market and sell what I know to other people so that they can learn to do it too.
0: I agree. I think, you know, in their situations, and I will think they will be the the outlier scenario. They were world-class mm-hmm. and they were able to grow a business. And I wouldn't even call it a business. They grew a company. They get themselves a very good job being paid a lot of money because they were the best of the best. But would would it, Besides like Eric Creasy doing his sports performance locations and things like that, would these guys ever exist in the regular micro gym brick and mortar world that majority of our audience falls into where they're looking to attract the everyday individual? Like their knowledge level would be would be deaf upon an audience in, you know, uh, Austin, Texas, where they open up. So when I look at that level of knowledge, I think you need to have a specific goal. Like, OK, I want to be the next Paula Quinn or Mel Sif. And I want to be—I want to know so much that means I need to be blogging. I need to—I need to be talking. I need to educating people. I need to be going around doing free seminars. Oh, kind of like how Sean Pastouch started going around and just mm-hmm. giving away his education for free. I need to go that route. Well, guess what? You can't go that route if you've got a building and a group class schedule with six fucking slots on the clock every day.
1: Well, but let, let, let's split them up though, because you're talking about the gym owner, and I can't disagree with you about the gym owner. They shouldn't be the best coach in the building, right? But they should be pursuing excellence in being a gym owner. Correct. They, yeah. They, like the job of a gym owner is leadership. It's okay. making sure we'll that a, like like, yeah, we'll see, like the I, gym I, Okay, so so I just had people in here who opened a gym locally who I wanted to see be successful. And I was walking them through their business model and and discussing their price points. And what is success for a member, right? Like helping them understand what is success for a member. Great. So when a member reaches success, they go from paying you $430 a month to $220 a month. That was essentially their their model, right? Well, when we scale that out, they go from being wildly profitable on the front end to being actually in the red on the back end. And what I explained to them was you guys were both coaches before or trainers before you were gym owners, or one of them was, the other one wasn't. You now need to become world-class understanding human psychology why somebody would want to downgrade their membership and what that membership needs to cost when they downgrade so that you're not losing money when you reach success for somebody, unless you want to create a business model of dependency, which I don't think that you do. And when we got into as a gym owner, your job is to create a safe and safe and inspiring work environment for all the coaches who work there that goes into what are you paying them? Because even being profitable at this price, I think you're underpaying your coaches. I don't think you're going to have world-class coaches or even long-standing, very good coaches. And so when it comes to the coach, Stu, where, where you and I agree is that if they want to ascend out of a coach, out from being a coach, once they sign their name on the paper, being a world-class coach is probably not the best use of their time. Not coach to client. Sure. But coach to coach, maybe. Sure, Yeah. Right? And They're going to
0: have more tools in their toolbox. They're going to become a, a, a multi-tool player, for better words.
1: I haven't presented at one of our seminars in about a year. I'm not as good as the guy who presents in our seminars now. And I shouldn't be. God forbid I should have to go back in and present to those seminars. Like I'd have to relearn the skill set. But if you're a coach in the gym, right, especially today, as we look at Peloton, right? We look at alchemy anywhere. They're not quite in the same class. As I heard your podcast about the different levels. That was really smart. But we look at Beachbody, Peloton. If people are buying experience, they're going to want to come into a place. If they're buying convenience with some experience, they're going to be discerning about buying something online that's much less expensive. My concern is that if you're selling experience and you don't have the Barry's Bootcamp mixtapes, lights, and and bougie If you don't have the Orange Theory aesthetic and brand awareness, and you're a coach in a CrossFit gym, or you're a coach in a micro gym, your experience is not as good, unless if your coaching is better.
0: Sure. So in that David Goliath scenario, this is them being a world-class coach to you is like that little slingshot rock fucking thing that you yeah, to take out Goliath.
1: Yeah, and, 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 and if we look at it, Stu, the average the average fitness, what do they call it, fitness trainer in the United States makes $19 an hour. Yeah. The average hourly worker in the United States who works 40 hours a week makes 25. So to me, becoming an average coach means making 19 bucks an hour and burning out and having to get a career one day.
0: Do you, so I also, you know, I like to play, I, <laughs> I like to tell people what I think is best for them. It's kind of a big thing. It's like a big part of what I do here. Professional Um, projector. Exactly. Uh, Do we believe that the coach today, and and let's say one of these guys who's like in your courses, right? Uh, Let's say they're 27 years old. They're absolutely in love with the idea of being a coach. Do we truly believe that their career path past a certain point? Do, Do we believe coach is really what's on the name tag? forever for them? And do we believe people ascend and go through cycles of what fulfillment means to them and also what compensation means for them? Because at some point, even if they're compensated well, and, you know, Sean Pastu just created the comp plan because that's, you do a beautiful job of breaking down what trainers need to make, um, you know, per revenue. I think it's called the four nines model or something like that, right?
1: That is the biggest <laughs> atrocity to hit fitness. Don't, don't but even. even
0: with that, at some point, trainers and coaches are like salon stylists and I'm very intimately aware with the salon industry at a certain point you're like this is great money but the amount of hours having to work to get there is blank so what do you believe in the in the ascension so I'm like all right come here Johnny all right you want to be a great coach this is what you want to do right now all right I think in 10 years, you're not going to want to do this shit. Why? You're going to meet in the nice little sum sum. You guys are going to get married. You're going to have kids. You're going to want to change your role. You're going to want to go from technician to manager. And by that time, you're going to be like, well, I should probably learn how to do this, 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 and this to make me either valuable to another shop that I could get hired to be that or to do it on my own. And because you've been too busy getting your level 37 kettlebell cert (laughs) and attending fucking certifications, you don't have any of that. And now it's a little too fucking late.
1: Well, so, so I'm with you but but i think that i want to i want to jump back a step and you're talking about a deep rooted conversation around somebody's money mindset because the idea of graduating from being a coach to being a manager or a creator means that they're tired of doing the day to day of coaching and they want to be able to make more money in less time or in the same amount of time with less energy put forward and i think that For some people, doing maintenance work, people like you, people like me, doing maintenance work, which is you show up and you do a great job at the same thing all day, every day, over and over and over again. Your weeks look the same. If you go on vacation and you're not salaried, you pay for vacation both in your vacation pay and in the lost business that week. That's the typical personal trainer, right? There are people who are not anything like you or anything like me. They would rather not face the risk of running up a multi six-figure payroll every month to pay staff to do the work that it is that we no longer are driven to do. Who are driven to do that? Who for them, if they made $75,000 a year, $100,000 a year and knew that, okay, I'm going to invest $10,000 of this a year and in 25 years, I'm going to have $250,000 invested that grows at 4% a year, I'll be able to live off of that for the rest of my life at that point. Fine. Who are we to tell them not to do that? And I think that there are a fair number of people who think that way, even if you or I would try to shine the light for them on what else they would be capable of doing. They might not want to do it. And I think that before you go and do the next level, you should prove that you can do the previous level. You know, you talk about you, you talk about me. I can't speak to your history. But I had patients who were flying out from Brazil, the Cayman Islands, Finland, California, Australia, for appointments in my clinic and to be trained in my gym before I did anything for anybody as a manager. And I think that that happens because you do an excellent job and then you learn the absolute bare minimum to make sure people know you're doing an excellent job. And sure. then you realize, okay, well, the, the squeeze here, the juice isn't actually in squeezing and making sure everybody knows I do a great job, not actually doing the great job anymore. And then leap passing my trust onto that person so that they're like, Oh, if that person's associated with Sean, they must do a great job too.
0: Yeah. And for you, even as a chiropractor, you know, you are, um, we we'd argue, we'd probably agree that we Sean's not the best chiropractor ever. He is in far as his clients are concerned, the best for them. He is better than the competition. And that's where I think like this idea of best and better. I've got this this kind of internal thesis on this. I being the best is a is a bold statement that comes with a lot of requirements, not only from other people's perspectives of you, but your own and, and what that means to be the best. When really what everyone just needs to be is better than the other option it's the, now, bo,
1: it's the bo jackson talk right i don't need to be crazy. it's 100
0: bo jackson it's even the it's the frank Abagnale. your quote you love so much that so mm-hmm. we I literally i think every time we podcast i bring this up is one chapter ahead right you've got to be you're you're better than the other guy and it could be in proximity and convenience it could be in price mm-hmm. point it could be in value it could be whatever it may be when i look at trainers and their pursuit of being the best, or again, and I love. I you know I was a I was a guy had it on my wall, my, my very first gym, right, the one I lived in. It said uh, the relent, the blind, relentless, constant pursuit of excellence. Right, he like did an opening line to one of the CrossFit journals on that, and I just I just I just bathe myself in that <laughs> relentless pursuit of excellence. And the only word that I never really like hide myself i love the word relentless i love this was the word excellence and maybe it's because everyone has a different definition of it but when i think of a trainer pursuing excellence in their craft and being the best trainer they can be like being the best artist you can be being the best is just such a subjective thing it's either personally you have like i'm the best and you're not you can't prove that to anybody
1: sure i can't
0: what else says <laughs> but but then you were like I enough people decided I'm better mm-hmm. than the competition and once that's been established like you, once you have these people coming in from the Caymans and all this other stuff and you have a clientele list and you're now you have been perceived as the better option it's probably time to then move on to the other areas because having an A plus in one area and a bunch of D's in another area is in my opinion that's not well worth it that's not going to work out for you long term I I'm a C plus student right? And, you know, maybe a D here, maybe a B plus here, but by and large kind of ride in that grade line right there. And I think for most professionals, that's really where you want to go unless you want to be, again, a future SME and an educator and a creator, you, then you need probably the reputation of, oh, he was one of the best ever.
1: Well, let, let me go back to my chiropractic example, me, right? When, when I, the day that I realized that I didn't want to be a chiropractor anymore, are you hearing an echo by the way? A little bit. Okay. I don't know what that is. The day that I decided I don't want to be a chiropractor anymore. I plugged in. Is that better?
0: Are you in your zoom thing In your preferences? Is it the right mic? Yeah,
1: it should be. Yeah. It was good until it wasn't.
0: Yeah. Sean, your yeah. voice is so fucking soothing and it's just, it's good regardless. Echo, okay. no echo. You're good to go.
1: All right. Um, So, the day that I decided I didn't want to be a chiropractor anymore was when I started getting treated by a friend of mine. And he was measurably better than me. And his name is Chris Steppy, and he owns a clinic called Barefoot Rehab in New Jersey. Chris was better than me. And I realized I had spent a few thousand dollars on my continuing education to become a better chiropractor, and then a lot of intentionality getting better at it. Chris had spent near six figures improving his education and copious amounts of time trying to get better. And I looked at the landscape and I was like, I can help 99% of people better than anybody in the world except for Chris. I'll just keep sending him that 1% when they come in. I'm not not a maintenance guy. So I'm with you on that. But I, I believe that it takes that inflection point for a coach to get to the point that they're like, all right, I'm a really good coach. Do I want to be the best coach in the world? And then decide, because somebody does, right? But you have to be really good first. You, I don't think it's reasonable to get to marginal, you know, safe, and then move Correct. on. I agree.
0: Yeah, we, we don't want coaches that are hovering on that C line. I guess what I'm mostly scared of is because I understand that, and so do you, and most and everybody listening to this. This you listening to this podcast is proof of what I'm about to say. The tools needed to sell a service independently as a one-off technician or the skill sets needed to eventually grow your own shop or your own business are so vast and diverse now. Like back in the day, you did not need to make a fucking recording studio out of an office. Mm -hmm. Or you didn't need to be able to just speak into an iPhone in an entertaining and educational way and upload it to Anchor. Like there are way more tools that everyone with a goal of creating something for themselves need to have. And so if you're looking to go that route of, again, like we, we've both been in agreement. If you're looking to pursue that route, there are, there's plenty of other skill sets. Once you get up to not marginally, but not the best, somewhere there in the middle, above average, right, right there in that line, it's now time to say, okay, move on. I went to, or Carl Paoli came to my gym back when I was a CrossFit gym. And Carl said something that he's like, in gymnastics, I teach people, once you've got a skill down about like 80%, you know, like you still fuck it up here and there, but like it's 80% down. Move on to the next thing. Don't stay on that because going from 80 to 100 will take you so fucking long. You'll get from zero to 80. You're going to see some results and then it'll just be time and reps and practice. I, I think about that a lot. And then I also think about the future job market. Let's, let's be real right now. Everyone listening to this is probably not going to repeat what you and me saw in 2008. We saw the largest insurgence of individual fitness businesses explode with everything going on right now, we're not going to see another one of those. There's not going to be another 16,000 CrossFit affiliates over the course of 10 years. You know, take China out, right? Like, it's not going to be that quick explosion. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to, especially if they want to be the best trainer, get jobs at other places. Mm -hmm. Do you Mm -hmm. believe that someone being the best trainer ever makes them a better hire than someone who maybe has other tools and skill sets?
1: I think that depends on how you define the best trainer. And, and for me, the answer is yes. When one of our ProPath gyms, which is the, the program that we sell to gyms, posts that they're looking to hire staff, people move across the country to go work there. And when they're looking for staff, they want them to have the skill set to be able to solve the problems that an active life gym can solve, that an active life coach can solve. And I think that you're right in that if you're going to go work in an Orange Theory, if you're going to go work in a standard CrossFit gym, you just need to be passable. You need to be able to help somebody move one degree each time they come. That's it. Keep them safe. Move them one degree. Give them a fun experience. But if you want to be able to move out of getting paid 20 bucks a class, 25 bucks a class, you need to develop a skill set that allows you to do that. Part of that skill set, to me, is solving problems that no other coach can solve. And you talked earlier about, you know, going and getting your Russian kettlebell level 37. And then, you know, you're stretching level six and your gymnastics level nine. I think that's misguided development. I think that that's a coach becoming marginally good at a bunch of different things that don't serve the same person. I think they're far better off saying, I'm going to go take whatever classes Stu is selling on me being the greatest content creator, the greatest marketer that I possibly can be. And I'm just going to market that I know how to help people who already lost 15 pounds keep it off for the rest of their lives. That's That's my niche. For an active life educated coach, it's we can help you lose that weight even if you've been dealing with low back pain for the last 10 years and everyone's telling you, you just have to stop doing it. Right. So, 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 yeah. so it, it, it's going deep instead of going broad with your education.
0: I, I get that. And with the one thing, and I know this is a problem you're hoping that your organization helps solve in the future is okay, I'm that coach and I've decided to go deep with my education. I know I can help people with serious problems. Where the fuck am I going to get a job that acknowledges that skill set and pays accordingly? Because that's the problem. I feel that people who become the best, they look around at the market and because their education, their acumen is so high, they're like, you guys are fucking this whole thing up. And there's nowhere for me to go where my skill set, because it's so high, would be rewarded. So now I have to go make a business. And I, but now I don't have the skill sets needed to start a fucking business. But that's not,
1: I don't agree with that because the coaches, the way we would teach a coach is walk into a gym and offer to work for free. Yeah. Because and we, sell
0: the personal training and hustle it out and prove to that gym owner that you're the shit to the point where he's like, holy fuck, this guy could put me out of business, right?
1: Yes. Or, yeah, or I, don't just make I'm your own sure. living and, and be like, look, I'll, I'll keep servicing your clients. I don't need to prove anything to you. I'll sell yeah. sessions at 150 bucks a pop all day.
0: Do you guys have a lot of, do you guys have coaches that are going into these places? Like, does that, the? I picture it like uh, they're getting on a team for tug of war. And they're so fucking good that everyone else is like, it it would cause unrest amongst the rest of the group because this individual showed up and he's been trained by you and he can sell $150 pop sessions. And, you know, but does that ever cause a lot of unrest when they go to work inside someone else's shop?
1: That's a great question. And I gotta be honest, I don't really know the answer to it. Uh, I can tell you that there's one case in particular and I'm not gonna sell out the coach or the gym owner. But- a gym owner called and was like, hey, I have one coach on my team who sells personal training sessions for like 120 bucks a pop and does like 15, 20 sessions a week, no problem. And he sells individual program design. The guy kills it. And the rest of the coaches on my staff combined do like four sessions a week at like 70 bucks. How do I get the rest of my coaches to be like the other one? And I'm like, I don't know. Well, what did the first one do? he's like, well, he took your course. I said, oh, okay. I'll and send you a link. I'll send you a link. And, but no, I was like, you should sign up for ProPath if you want to do this. And he's like, I, I can't. I, I'm a mentor for another company. And I was like, okay, well, that's a, that's a fucking problem. But to, yeah. to, to make a long story short on that one, there was no unrest amongst the coaches in that gym. It was just they would all like to be more like this guy who's become world-class at coaching people and selling his solutions.
0: And I, you know, I just look at, at a certain point, like there's only, there's a certain, uh, is there a ceiling of knowledge for a trainer? Like at some point, do you pretty much know everything you need to know? And now it's just about seeing different case studies and working with different clients and gaining experience you can't get at the, at the educational level.
1: I think so. And I also think there, there's always more that you can learn, but it's just, is it still valuable to learn it? Sure. You know, and, and, and I think that, um, like, are you going to be somebody who helps people with orthopedic injuries, for example, and then are you going to go into inflammatory diseases, and then are you going to go into neurological? Like, like where, where do you go with that? And I think that that's a little bit unclear, and it's something that we're navigating as we grow out our curriculum. But when it comes to helping people lose weight, for example, I think that your ability to to continue seeking knowledge to do that takes you into the world of psychology. psychology. Therapy, you know, learning how to actually connect with people on a deep level. And I don't know if that becomes generalizing yourself, if that becomes no longer being a coach, if it's it's broadening your scope to serve more people. I don't know. Yeah. And when I look at the
0: marketplace, if you're like, hey, I want to be a coach. And again, kind of like one of your guys and they're going to go in they're going to have to be looking like they're not going to go to bear. They're not going to establish multi-million dollar company and pull this off for the most part, right? Like they're not going to be able to walk into Equinox and tell Equinox, well, guess what? I'm going to charge this and whatever. Like, no, fuck face. You're going to wear this color polo and you're going to charge what we charge and get in line. You're at the bottom of the rung. Like, Mm -hmm. so there's also needs to be, obviously, if people, if let's say, I, let's say I agree with you and let's say, I'm like, okay, Sean, P, these coaches do need to pursue excellence in their craft. They need to be able to find a place to fulfill that from a job perspective because the job market for a, an excellent coach isn't there. Cause you're even saying these guys have to go in the broken shops and kind of make it their own, well,
1: right? They, they got to go
0: in there and show that, you know, and kind of rock the boat, if you will.
1: Well, but let's use Equinox as an example, cause that's where I got my real professional start in fitness. When I was working at Equinox, it took the average coach about six months to get the full-time if they ever got there. And for those of you listening, full-time means 21 sessions a week. But right? if you're not pulling 21 personal training sessions a week, you are not full-time. And there's a large incentive to get the full-time. Number one, you don't have to work the floor for eight bucks an hour. Number two, you don't have to uh, get paid 33% less. So when you go from part-time to full-time, one session difference could equal 200 bucks that week. That's a big fucking difference. So there's a lot of incentive to get to being full-time. I got there in five weeks. And the reason I got there in five weeks was because I was able to speak to the people in the gym who none of the other trainers were able to speak to. I understood... Why they weren't able to move their arms the way they wanted to. I understood why they couldn't reach down to the ground without pain the way that they wanted to. I understood why they spent their time upstairs in the pool instead of downstairs on the weight floor. And my ability to separate myself from every other coach meant that the physical therapists who rented space in the gym only referred clients to me. It meant that the sales team, when somebody told them they were dealing with this little thing, would only refer clients to me. It meant that the front desk staff when someone was complaining about something going on would only refer clients to me. So while everybody else was competing for ass, abs and ego, I was the only one who had the skill set to tell the everyone in the gym who could possibly refer, I'm your guy if this.
0: Okay. So, and then, and you yourself had your own evolution. You obviously won trainer. You owned a gym at one point. And you've gone through this ascension. Your, your desire of what fulfills you in your career and your mission and why you're here and your purpose and all that has evolved. When I'm looking at these guys and I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, let's get them to be the best trainers. But again, how, how are they going to get the word out that they're the best trainer, right? When they start making this $150 per session money, how are they going to manage the cash flow of that when they need to go ahead, like these other little things, like these skill sets, and maybe that becomes the evolution of educational shops like yours, right? Uh, that, like that full, out of, yeah. Yeah. Exactly encompassing business, yeah, cool. yeah. Encompassing business development because putting your head down and saying, you know, again, it's not like you're a, when you're a lineman in the NFL, you got one fucking job, buddy. I need you to work for about seven seconds and do one goddamn thing. Right. That's it. Right. You don't need to worry about what the tight ends are doing or how to catch the ball. Like you had that one job. Unfortunately, I don't think the fitness industry is primed for sp- like a, a, a heads down specialist. There are the outlier scenarios that we named earlier. And But that's it, unless you plan to become one of those truly iconic subject matter experts that people will talk about. Poliquin died, what, fucking five years ago? Like, I mean, pe- like people will talk about him forever. And, and it's just, it becomes this thing where we, I feel like with you and me and our audience and who we talk to, I want people to, I want them just thinking a couple steps ahead, be like, yeah, be fucking good. Of course, I want you to be a great coach. But brother, if you don't think it's not worth your time to learn how to- Create a one hitter landing page or like a website for yourself, or like, or do some kind of communication, or even like, and say, I know how much you preach sales in addition to fitness. Like, what good is your fitness if you can't sell that shit? You know, I, these other elements that I don't want guys to go heads down and, you know, ostrich themselves because they're like, nope, I'm just gonna be the best, constant, relentless pursuit of happiness. And, you know, that's all I'm fucking chasing.
1: Well, I think that that speaks to the scope of the coach and what goes into being a great coach. <clears throat> sales. Sales is probably my favorite thing to talk about. Because oh, I know. Because if, if somebody in the gym, like coaches all the time, like sales, dirty word, dirty word, dirty word, dirty word. Well, if you tell somebody, hey, I need you to keep that barbell closer to your body. That's a sale. You're selling them an idea. There's just no money exchange. So you don't really have a problem with sales. You have a problem with money. and With taking it from
0: other people, yeah.
1: Yeah, with asking for it. With asking. And, and, and to me... If you develop yourself as a coach it means that you developed yourself as a person you've gained the self-awareness necessary to be empathetic and to do for other people in service of other people and you don't mind asking for money and I don't think that sales is a separate skill set from coaching I think it's a prerequisite to be allowed to coach sure
0: sure 100% like um, I, let me ask you this then. What would you say? So someone listening, who's like, okay, I, Sean, I'm a coach right now. I'm I'm infatuated with it. Everything I can learn and consume educational wise I'm doing. Um, it is my career craft as I see it now. However, I do not want to discount that I might want to do something else down the road, whether it's start my own thing, or I'd love to maybe coach coaches one day. I'd love to start a podcast and tell people about it. So if, if with that, how do you think I should allocate my time in my education? Should I continue down the path of this straight trainer-based education or do I divvy it up if I think there might be a sliver of time where I'm going to be a father and I'm not going to be able to get up at 4 a.m. to meet clients and go to go home by 7 p.m.?
1: Yeah, great question. I think that education serves one purpose. One. Education allows you to ask better questions. And when you start asking better questions, you start finding more difficult answers. And then you need education to ask the questions about the bigger answer. So to give you a really simple example of that, let's say that you're a coach in a gym and you're making 20 bucks a class right now. Do you believe that everybody in that class shows up for you and trusts you when they get there? Easy way to look at that. Do you outperform every other class by 20% every day or 20% more people coming to your class every day? Because a fucking rock star, they are. Great. Once you've gotten there, look at the amount of money that you're making and ask yourself, is this enough? If the answer is no, the next thing to look at is what skill do I need to make more? Because I can't make it coaching classes like this. Well, I need to learn how to do one-on-one coaching, for example. Great. Great. A great one-on-one coach is very different than a great group class coach. You can't take the group workout, do it one-on-one and expect people to pay for it. So what skills do you need to become a great one-on-one coach? Learn those skills and then learn how to market and sell those skills. You're going to reach a point once again where you're like, I'm really good at this and I no longer want to do this as the thing potentially. Okay, so how do you want to now start to scale that up? Well, I want to be able to teach other people to do it. Great. Doing it really well and teaching somebody else to do it really well are two very different skill sets. What skills do you need to be able to teach somebody else to do it? Go get them. And the reason why we go through that progression, Stu, is because somebody might not grow out of the, I just want to coach for 25 bucks an hour. Some people like it.
0: I mean, there's bartenders for life. They're career
1: bartenders. 100%. I mean, look, there there are teachers teaching in a school has a massive variety of pay. In New York, it could be $150,000 a year. In Louisiana, maybe it's thirty. in some places. Don't hate me, Louisiana. I'm fucking guessing here. Okay? Cost
0: of living, right?
1: Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, teachers work 25 years. They never ascend out of being a teacher. But they pursue becoming a better teacher so that it's easier for them to do their job.
0: I mean, eventually, you'll see people like they'll get tenure, they'll get into administration, that kind of thing. But, but ten, I, I but get but what you're teachers saying.
1: Teachers don't all go to administration. Most teachers don't. No, not teachers. all of them. Yeah. Most. Most of them stay teachers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you're you are going back, like on, you and I, oh, yeah. we could never do that.
0: No. Wait, <laughs> teach?
1: Anything no. for 25 years straight. <laughs> years
0: straight. <laughs> do anything for 25 years, yeah. <laughs> so going back to like, even the, I like even thinking of the bartender example, there are career bartenders just like there are career like i i've got you know i got a guy who's uh, he's my go-to paint guy this guy's going to be a painter like i'm not talking like art i'm talking like houses and buildings for the rest of his life he knows it up and down it's a, super efficient at it whatever i but also if you gave those individuals the opportunity to go back in time and say hey bartending's dope you can make great money but would you ever be interested in whatever education or whatever thing could have possibly given you another opportunity would there be something you'd be interested in if we go back in time with our DeLorean hit 85 with Doc Brown and get there and and I think so and I like I I know trainers and I know people who thought they were beach career trainers and especially now in covid there's a pivot they got fired from the gym they were at they were at Reebok CrossFit whatever they can't be there anymore and now like, uh, I got to go out of my, oh, I got how to get figured out. I'm a bad, I'm great, Stu. I know my shit. Like I'm taking these calls is that, you know, I, this week I'm the best. So how do I go out and I'm like, all right, well, so in this entire time of you developing yourself to be the best, did you ever sit down and think about what you would need to do if someone else, if someone wasn't already bringing you the fucking fresh meat every month in Leeds? There, and there, new clients? There,
1: there, Stu, there's a lot, there, there's a substantial amount of unconscious incompetence there. that that I would unpack. You're not the best trainer. Like if you got fired from the gym and clients weren't calling you saying, Hey, uh, where did you go? How do I work with you? You weren't that fucking good. That's the reality. And, and, and to, to jump on top of that, um, I forgot where I was going to go with it, but, but it's, you no, know, I see what you're
0: saying. So let's say again, Jim shuts down COVID. They're out of a job. They've got they've got that that plethora. They coach the 5:30 AM class, and that 5:30 AM class will follow them anywhere. And now this individual's stuck with the opportunity. Okay, I'm the best trainer, but what good does that do me now? Yeah, they're paying
1: you. They should still be no, paying what? you
0: sure i can still keep training these people and now but now i've got to okay well how what do i do am i doing it online am i doing it in their garage it's about to get cold out like there's all these other elements of problem solving and cuz now you have to create something more than just being the best trainer you have to problem solve outside of that bigger box
1: you you, you might you also might not you might be able to just say hey i'm going to go train over here come with me. Sure. Come you might.
0: Yeah. Me. Go to someone else's shop and set up shop and do that and, and do that fine. But then there's also that cool that, I mean, if you found that life raft, like a lot of these people who are displaced now, especially New York city is a fucking trainer. Nightmare. Orange theory fitness is lost. Oh, whatever is it? 45, 50% of their trainer population. And they're all online now mm-hmm. and they all pulled and siphoned fucking clients out, but they're all sitting there like, okay, I got these dedicated 30 people And I could charge them X per month, but what the fuck do I do with it now? There's a lack of not only business acumen, but again, like I think this more global problem solving, I think, and again, it's not just the problem of people pursuing being the best trainer. I also think businesses don't actively bring their employees into the problems of the business and help teach people like numbers meetings. My staff comes to my numbers meetings. They know every dollar in the bank account. They know what our problems are, what our woes are, what our wins are, what our losses are. And I think like little things like that, are ways that trainers and coaches could develop acumen on this other side that I'm pushing for while simultaneously perfecting their craft of being the best trainer, whatever it may be. And, and that's just my fear. I hate seeing guys that really did invest with the hope and dream in this really like, this, it's adorable. You thought being just the best trainer alone would survive some of these things that we're all dealing with in this world right now of 2020.
1: But, but and, Stu, and it, I don't think it will. It's It's the depth that they go on the things that they learn. It's, you're not wrong in that when people say I'm the best, you're like, bullshit, everybody says that they're the best. How are you different? Why are you different? And then it gets into the skill of marketing, which is not a trainer's skill. And I'm with you on that. What I'm describing is most people don't actually give it enough time, enough intention and enough effort to be good enough for anybody to tell anybody about them. And, and, and they think like, oh, well, no, I'm the best because I really care about people. And I call them when they're not there and I text them and I know their kids' names. I know everyone's name in the gym. And, and they're lifers for me. And as you know, once a gym owner, the, once they say I have lifers, they are fucked. Yep. Because you raise your price by five bucks without a really good description of why. And they think you're just not happy driving the Mercedes that you don't bring to the gym anymore. You want a Lambo. And the reality is you don't have a Mercedes and you're not buying a Lambo and you never had fucking lifers. So I'm with you on that. But, but the, the, the point that I'm making is great trainers, really, really, really great trainers solve problems that other trainers can't. And people who say that they are great trainers who don't have people following them no matter where they go are just pumping sunshine up their own ass. Hundred percent, and
0: those great trainers again. And in wrapping this, I, while we definitely disagree on some of this stuff here, I think by and large, I want to say, like, I do love the concept of the one day, like your your pursuit that the 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 say it for me. I'm gonna butcher, I don't want to butcher man. it. Uh, the gym. Oh, the healthcare for The
1: future is the gym. Yes. And the healthcare provider. Of the future is the coach.
0: Correct. Yes. I love, I love that concept. And I love that pursuit. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at how many, you know, even to support my argument here, it's like, all right, well, how many general physicians are there versus how many brain surgeons are there? Right. Who like, you know, 100%, 100%. Who helps the most people? You know, like you got this argument, this back and forth thing, but I do, I, I want a world where trainers can, can do this as a profession and be looked at like a lawyer like a fucking doctor in that same realm of professional. Cause right now it's not. And there's a lot of things that need to happen for that. Like a lot of things that will need to happen at, not at a level where we're all in control of it. There's, there's one you know?
1: thing that needs to happen. What's, they, they just need all to need to turn pro. Come home, baby. <laughs> turn pro. <laughs> turn pro. Come to active life. That's all that needs to happen. Now, obviously I'm, I'm conflating there. Right. But it's, it's, we need to just as professionals stop accepting Mediocrity, and just say no. We're not a shitty profession. We're not. You don't dive on a kettlebell swing. Jillian Michaels, I'm bringing it full circle. The poetry stuff.
0: It's uh, it's gonna be one of these things where I, again, I'm excited with what you guys are doing. I, I'm, uh, I love the fact you guys are gonna be giving these guys some level of business acumen. Um, because again, it's it's like giving you know, being a trainer, you you get out there like, hey man, you got this amazing bullet, this amazing weapon. But if someone, you know, and you can shoot that gun, but if someone gets close enough to you, you don't know what to do, like the the hand-to-hand combat, some of the other things that make that gun worthwhile, that make that skill set you have, it's such a powerful weapon to be really good at changing someone's life and to fix bad movement and take people out of pain. What a a magician-level skill set. But it's all for nothing. It's the it's the best voice in the woods and fucking if no one can hear it, it. Like it's it's worth nothing without your ability to get it out there. And again, you know, the sales, the marketing is one thing. And I'm fearful that there's just not enough shops out there that care if you're the best trainer. You're right. Or do they want you're an right. entertainer, a soul cycle entertainer, that kind of scenario. And and hopefully there'll be more active life gyms or other like people listening to this that are opening up locations that will look at themselves as the healthcare uh, provider of the future. And uh, and that that will change. As I sit here and I see it now, and I look at the industry and, and who runs the industry and what are the number one, you know, CrossFit gyms, number one, the largest organization out there in u- in raw units, economic units. Mm-hmm. And then you look mm-hmm. at the guys coming up behind them, the Planet Fitnesses and the Orange Theories. And it's like, I don't see a lot of fucking opportunity out there for the best trainers.
1: You're, you're not wrong. We got to create it. Yep. Come home. Let's yep. go. Yep.
0: <laughs> Sean, dude, thank you so much for coming on and uh, shooting the show with me, guys. Take notes. This is how two adults argue. Isn't this is this, how, it, this how it goes down. Isn't
1: refreshing? I know.
0: I know. All right, brother. I'll talk with you soon, my man. Thank you.
1: All right.